and welcome to another episode of Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us on our continuing mission to explore intersectional diversity in infinite combinations. My name is Kennedy, and as always, thanks for tuning in. With me today are... Grace! Andy! And Sarah! All right! But before we get into our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries. Visit patreon.com slash womenatwarp for more info. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. T Public Store uh, has new designs based on our banner art. Plus there's logos, some other non-podcast specific Trek design stuffs. It's all great. You go to tpublic.com slash stores slash women at war. So let's talk about the giant pink animated elephant in the room. <laughs> Lower Decks. Oh, the my- second. I know. It's so good. It's so good. I'm sitting on my hands. Go ahead. Get out your system. If you got to squeeze, squeeze now. Squeeze now. If you ever hold your squeeze. <laughs> oh, man. This is the second animated series in the Star Trek universe, but it's definitely the first for many folks, uh, many new folks to the fandom, folks who just got in, you know, after the 2009 reboot or perhaps even later with Disco. This is your first time. And it is an overall love letter, I feel, to the franchise. But when then it pokes, pokes a little bit of fun in it at, at the same time. The air dates were August 9th, 2020 to October 8th, 2020. So 10 episodes of high octane giggles. Man, I did not think that they were going to be able to keep that momentum at all. Me neither. I was so proud of them when we reached the end of the season, though. Like, they kept it up! They kept it up! They did it! The whole time. <laughs> yeah. Every episode was just go, 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 go. Just foot on the gas the whole time, giving you <laughs> this incredible new perspective of life in Starfleet. Mm-hmm. All we've ever seen is senior staff. We have never, ever gotten a chance to know what it's like to live on a bunk. All I know is I didn't know they was living in bunks on, on <laughs> in the 23rd century or 24th century. If, if this is 2380 something, why am I on a bunk bed, my guy? Like, Have they not progressed bunk technology even further than that in any way? How about, how about build a ship with a large enough space so that you can house your crew comfortably? Like if I... Listen, if I graduate Starfleet and I get put on a ship and they put me under somebody else on a shelf, I'm going to be lit. I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be so mad. They can develop a warp core, but they cannot develop technology to protect you from the guy above you's farts. Precisely. (laughs) This is unacceptable. Not to mention, don't don't those bunk beds look like they're just in a hallway somewhere? Yes. It's like, oh, there was some space in hallway B on deck 10. Let's put some bunk beds there. Yeah, it really has a a college freshman dorm kind of feel to it where you're paying way too much money to live in the smallest (laughs) dorm possible and you have to stack your furniture and eat things from a really bad microwave. And you somehow, you have even less privacy than you do in a freshman dorm. (laughs) You're just right out there. I just appreciate them being next to the shower so much in that first episode because they're like, yeah, we're next to the sonic showers. That's why it's always moist, which doesn't make a lot of sense because it's sonic. (laughs) My thing is, 
that means I constantly have to sleep with clothes on, right? Yeah. That's not cool. I need at least like a shade. Give me a curtain or something on this bunk. The fact that there's no privacy curtain alarms me considerably. <laughs> I don't know about you all. What if they made it like a sideways kind of paternoster situation where they're rotating? So like you could be like, no, I want to go into the silence area and, and then be like, okay, I'm okay being out here. I'm just hanging back out or something. Mm. Because right now I'm just worried that they're all living in the worst possible part of every slumber party, which is you they need are. to sleep. You've got shit to do in the morning. There's always two people who want to keep talking all night long. Boimler. <laughs> you know he does. <laughs> Speaking of which, before we get into the characters, right? Oh my God. I can't just imagine my bed being by the window, the back window. Like <laughs> if you're being pursued, guess where they're firing? Like my, my bunk. And I hate it. <laughs> can't sleep. St- staying awake from ennui. Look out into the void of space. <laughs> Right. How is that supposed to keep me asleep, though? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I just watch it incessantly. Because I'm that nerd. On the whole, this first season talks about Ensign Beckett motherfucking Mariner. (laughs) (laughs) And the crew of the USS Cerritos, they boldly get into heaps of trouble making sure to polish the brass they tarnish along the way by upholding the statutes of Starfleet in all its complexities. Because, like we've talked about so far, this is a whole other side. Of Starfleet. I'm pretty sure that these folks who graduated top of their class or maybe even, you know, middle of their class, but were educated in some other field coming in, you know, I'm 35 years old. I'm not sleeping next to some, I'm not sleeping next to Boimler. <laughs> like, mm, I'm not, I'm not. I, I, excuse me, sir. Can I, I need to form, I need to formally launch a complaint. Ransom, come here, bro. Let me talk to you for a minute. That's how you have to speak to Ransom. You can't talk to him like a person because he doesn't understand. <laughs> Speaking of characters, I'm naming people left and right. If you haven't seen it by now, the characters that we have grown to love, mostly, are Ensign Beckett Mariner, performed by Tawny Newsom, Ensign Bradward Brad Boimler, voiced by Jack Quaid, Ensign Devon Attendee, voiced by Noelle Wells, and Ensign Samanthan, Samanthan, Sam Rutherford, voiced by Eugene Cordero. God bless you, Eugene Cordero. Man, I want to hug that guy so much. Yeah. I just want to give him a squeeze because Rutherford is so precious. Baby bear. I mean, both him and Tendi are precious. You want to protect them. You want to protect them so bad. Right off the bat, we get to see some gender equality, right? On this fave four, as I call them, our favorite four. We've got two men and two women, so a lot more balance than we're accustomed to seeing. We get to see some cool different types of people represented finally in Orion for the first time, you know, being portrayed in a way that isn't controversial. Hypersexualized or hypercriminalized. She's a big nerd. Yeah. She's a huge nerd. She's curvier than everybody else on the ship. But you don't think about it because she's too busy being a cinnamon roll with her cute little face. <laughs> the whole cinnamon roll. And I, and I love the fact that she is our entry point into this new setting. Right? She's full of life and optimism and just bundles of bundles of cinnamon <laughs> rolled up in a squishy little green <laughs> face. Uh, we meet Aww. Boimler, who is inherently not a bad dude. He's just a dweeb. You know, uh, <laughs> if there was any example of exemplary officership, it is most certainly Brad Boimler. He's just kind of a doofus about it. So he can, he's a little, you know, he can be taxing. In this context, but I appreciate the fact that he's the canary, you know, he, he's the one who lets them know when they've gone a little too far off compass wise. 
So shout out to Jack Quaid for being the canary in both of the series that he's on right now. <laughs> so we talked about those three. And then Beckett Mariner, played by Tawny Newsom. Holy shit stacks. Oh. Like, I, I'm so, I don't know, I didn't even know how to feel because half of me is thrilled from my core that I finally see myself represented in track and it's cool, right? But the other half of me is like, terrified because i feel like they've been watching me <laughs> because i she says things that i have certainly said she breaks into song randomly i definitely can be a bit of a partier so i'm like who is watching me why have they tapped my phones what's happening they've just got you figured out in trek character form oh man if that ain't my child i don't know she's your descendant in the future clearly that is a great 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 niece the thing i like about mariner the most is that she is kind of a good vehicle for gently critiquing starfleet oh yeah and just in general I like that perspective of someone who doesn't take it all so seriously, but is still, she's probably the most competent, which is saying something because they're all pretty competent. Mm -hmm. And yet she's still the one that's always like reminding everyone, hey, we're in space. This is awesome. You don't have to be so stuck up all the time and snobby. And I, I like that that vibe and her vibe is kind of the vibe of the show. Yeah. I kind of like that. There's that dynamic between all four of the main characters that they're all in a way, an analog for a part of the audience. Like, Mariner is definitely the part of the audience that's stoked, that's happy to be there, but is not afraid to take the piss out of the situation a little bit. Mm -hmm. Tendi is just so excited for everything. Boimler's taking the fun kind of out of things a lot by overanalyzing. <laughs> yeah. And Rutherford is the pure nerd of them, right? Like, we see in that first episode when they have, when they survive a crisis, him and his date, and he's more concerned about the fact that the doors didn't open than the fact that they just survived and she stuck her tongue in his face, you know? Boimler is that exemplary Starfleet proficient officer. He's just green. He would be Geordi if he was LeVar Burton. But no, if he if, he, if this wasn't his first mission, you know what I mean? I think it's cool that they're but to me they all feel like seniors in high school because they just got there, they're they're transitioning. But, you know, Mariner's a super senior. She may have been left behind once or twice. <laughs> or not even left behind, but just didn't have enough gym credits or something to graduate on time. Who knows? It could be anything. But my favorite thing about Beckett is the fact that it's, a, it's an example of great Afrofuturism, right? People sometimes are unaware of what Afrofuturism is, and it's really, at its core, seeing versions of Blackness in the future. So for me, seeing someone who was undeniably of my loins in some capacity make it past the Third World War, was clearly around for First Contact Day, and so on and so forth, is like, wow, we can survive all of the bullshit that the system throws at us, all of the racism, all of the bigotry, all of the prejudices, all of the everything else, and make it to the future and be so carefree and so joyous about what they're doing with themselves in their life, that they can do it to the best of their ability. They have the opportunity to screw up and screw around the way Mariner does. They have the opportunity to captain a ship like Captain Freeman. Can we talk about Don Lewis for a second? 
can we talk about her? The thing that I I like about the fact that Mariner and Freeman are mother and daughter is it's so rare for us to see mother-daughter dynamics on this show. We have gotten so many father-son dynamics and, like, mentorships, but it's super rare that we get female mentorships and um, emphasis on, like, mother-daughter stuff. So I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed how complicated their relationship is and how they love each other, but they fight because that's how me and my mom are, Mm -hmm. so... It's really resonant. It does remind me a little bit of Loxana and Deanna with how much they fight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Except Deanna could walk away. Like, Loxana was like a hurricane for whatever, the week that she was there, the two days that she was there. They work in the same place. That's so a constant. Oh, man, it's something else. Can you picture if Loxana was Troy's superior officer? Oh, my God. Troy would transfer <laughs> immediately. <laughs> She would either try to transfer and Luxana would constantly deny it. <laughs> or she'd assign her missions that take up too much time for the transfer to actually occur. I don't know. She'd find something, some way, some way. Just the fact that the idea of Luxana being in a position of power in Starfleet is amazing in and of itself. But I digress. I love also the fact that Captain Freeman is so focused on, she's, she's very ambitious. In that being a captain wasn't enough for her. She wants to be a captain on a ship that's taken seriously. And is just surrounded by <laughs> people who do their jobs. But let's face it, not everybody can be on the, on the Enterprise. You know? So it's interesting to see someone try to maintain that brass, so to speak. And getting flustered with constantly having to polish it. Because her crew's got sticky fingers. So what's everybody's favorite character? Mm. I mean, Kennedy, I know Mariner's your daughter, but is she your fave? <laughs> I, um, ooh, that's a good one. Because <laughs> I, I love what the four of them represent, right? Like we said, they all represent different elements of, of what it's like to be in that situation, to be, to be a fan of that situation, and to be young and full of life and ambition still. Before that's all taken away from you by, if not the weight of the world, then just random stuff happening in your job. Yeah, because Trek was always a, a an adventure for me. Yeah, there's science and diplomacy and stuff, but there was always that ever-present threat that, like, any minute you could be attacked, and if your shields aren't up, that hole's breached, you're done. So no matter how nice your living situation is or isn't, no matter how many pips you have or don't, like, space is the ultimate equivocator. So no matter how cushy your position is, how cushy your mission is, there's always going to be a threat of danger. And the fact that these guys are are living like that on their toes is just a really, really great example of how Trek is like the ever giving, giving tree, I guess. Because we get to see Riker parodies in Jack Ransom. Man, this dude. He's like if Kirk and Riker had a baby. Oh my God, there's a mental image. <laughs> yeah, Jack Ransom, I know, is pulling all of the the tropes about Riker and Kirk and just being a first officer and, and being, you know, macho and whatnot. And all that's there. He's su- super self-absorbed and self-concerned. But his speech with Mariner when they were on, oh, geez, what planet was that? Uh, it was Temporal Edict. When Captain Freeman eliminated 
buffer time and they were all run ragged trying to keep their schedules. So Ransom and (laughs) Mariner were locked up and he pretty much reminded her of how important rules and regulations are when they're in those situations and manages to perform to the standard that he had set for his, his away team and himself. So I think what's, if I got to give him any type of flower, it has to be the one that says that he's at least like he's at least true to his integrity. Like there's not a, I wouldn't say a bad bone in Ransom's body. He might be a little bit of a bro, but you know, I know that if, if she's the fan, this dude will have my back. It just might be annoying the way he does it. <laughs> and can we just talk about how great Jerry O'Connell is? Yes. In this role. So great. If you're not following him on Twitter, you should be because he is having so much fun with Star Trek trolls. Really? I, I appreciate that now we get to have him and Rebecca remain as kind of a Star Trek power couple. Yeah. Good for them. But yeah, he definitely, you can tell he was having fun with this role. Can I tell my random story about Jerry O'Connell? Oh my God, girl, spill this tea. What's up? What's happened? Tell me everything. This one time I was interviewing for a job that I really wanted with a software startup. And I was interviewing with the CEO and we were at a cafe sitting outside by the door. And, you know, he's asking me questions. I'm doing great. And then I just stopped him mid-sentence, put my hand on his arm. I'm like, I'm so sorry, but did you see who just walked in? And it was Jerry (laughs) O'Connell. Well, did you get the job? I did get the job. So that worked out. So I don't have to be mad at Jerry O'Connell. Yes, he was your good luck charm. He's your lucky Jerry O'Connell. Yeah, just randomly walking in this coffee house in Portland, Oregon. So what we've learned from this is you need to make sure when you're interviewing to have Jerry O'Connell in the room somehow. There you go. Wow, that's dope. That's, mm, I don't know how you contained yourself. I would not have gotten that job because I'd have made a fool out of myself. I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) Does anyone else have any stories about Jerry O'Connell? The only one that I always think of is he was on the, I think it was the Tonight Show, and he was telling about how everywhere he goes, people will yell at him that, oh, look, it's the fat kid from Stand By Me. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently he was at one time, he was at a baseball game with Gary Sinise, and people just kept yelling, Lieutenant Dan and (laughs) fat kid from Stand By Me. This just adds to my theory that actors from Stephen King movies just are all friends in a secret club. It's called therapy. (laughs) Speaking of therapy, I'm going to need therapy because the second I fell head over heels in love for Lieutenant Shax, a.k.a. Big Bad Bajoran Battle Daddy, a.k.a. the Bajoran Beef Stick, we lose him. We lose him. I was like, look at this. Look, look at this big old... Thick old slab of Bajoran. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> you gotta wonder, are, are they gonna bring him back? Is this like a, oh no, he's gone, end of the season thing? That They're like, oh no, he's totally back. We, w- we wouldn't rob you of this. I think he's gone. I think he's gone, and I think <laughs> Freeman's gonna offer Mariner his slot. If they're working oh, closer dang. together. Yeah, that's the only thing I can think oh, of. Because they made, it wasn't like, a, oh, maybe he survived. Nah, your man was balls to the wall, like a Klingon. <laughs> which I thought was kind of cool and also a little uh, inconsistent, right? I mean, the Bajurans yeah. were, were feisty, but this was straight up this was straight up Klingon shit, you know? I like the idea of just the one super aggro Bajoran, though. And that was him. Yeah, they've got all that, all that rage pent up from years of occupation, and he's just the one guy it all manifested in. 
Plus, I, I've always kind of had an issue with the way that, like, people are like, well, if they're of this particular culture, they have to be like this. Yeah. It's not always That's true. true. I mean, Tendi's a good example of this as well. Yeah, I was I was confused by him at first, but then I started thinking about it. I was like, oh, well, if Kira, instead of being, like, a super skinny ectomorph, was this big, beefy mesomorph, that's kind of what I think she would act like. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because that, and I initially was like, Bajorans don't act like this. But I was like, wait, they are kind of scrappy. And then I thought of Kira. And I said, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes a whole <laughs> lot of sense that this man is this angry all the time. This is Kira reincarnated into a big buff dude. Yeah, maybe a relative yeah. or something. Who knows? But he was also a cinnamon roll. I'm sad that he had that he went out in the end. But I'm glad at least to know that he probably went out the exact way he would have wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. He had a smile on his face. Yeah. Because I paused it several times. To review them. <laughs> as I, as yeah. I was reviewing them for the for the recaps, I watched them quite a bit. And on that episode, I said, hold up. Is he really dead, though? Because it's Trek. You never know. Yeah. And I paused it and, like, looked at it. And I said, he's got a smile on his face. Your man's okay. I said, rest in peace, boo. <laughs> oh, my God. I, ju- I just now had a thought. What if he gets, like, Frankensteined by the pack lids or something? Oh, man. Then we got to kill him with fire. Yeah. That would suck. I know. But but now that we've actually got the pack lids as less than joke villains, it's like, what are they going to do next? Ugh. Even though Shax went out in a blaze of glory the way he wanted, he left a broken heart behind. Poor Dr. Ta'ana. I know. First of all, let's give her her flowers, right? Proof yeah. that you don't have to be a nice person to be a good doctor. Bones showed us that. <laughs> but he at least had camaraderie with, with Jim and, and Spock. She just does not give any remaining craps about what the people around her seem to think of her. And I appreciate that. I think Ta'ana is on her eighth and a half <laughs> life. I think she done been around and back again and has just been like, listen... I just want to make it till tomorrow. <laughs> and I just really appreciated somebody grizzly like that. I wish she would have gotten a little bit more screen time and a little bit more character development. They squeezed it in at the end and her affections with, with Shax. Can we also talk for a second talk about how rare it is that we see grizzled women characters? Because yeah. grizzled is primarily a trait that we see associated with male characters because it shows they've been around the block and they've seen a lot, but with women, there's always like that, oh, but we don't want them to be, you know, cranky or anything. They need to be approachable. And so I appreciated just that that whole character's base descriptor is cranky and angry, but also lady character. Yeah. She's like, if Crusher was out of Fox together. <laughs> uh, can you imagine? <laughs> I also feel like Dr. Tana gets bleeped out needs to be a role in your drinking game. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, while it was cool that someone was cussing <laughs> like that, I was also yeah. a little annoyed that she was reduced to that, too. Yeah. You know, I feel like... So it's interesting for Ta'ana specifically, because it's the first Cation we've seen since M.R.S. from the original animated series back in the 70s, right? So this is already a big deal. So you w- your eyes are drawn to her. You want to see what she's like. You want to get glimpses of what Cations are like as a culture, as a society, through her representation. We're already not going to get a whole bunch of that because she's senior staff and the show is not about senior staff. But we also don't see a lot from her because she's then reduced to dropping the F-bomb. And it's funny, haha, kiki, but when you go back and watch the episode several times, it's like, you know, I needed more from her. My, my, my peak 
to on a moment was the hissing dropkick, <laughs> referring to those crystal people that, you know, when, when Freeman finally gave the order to for people to do whatever they needed to do to get the shit back. <laughs> Yo, her hissing dropkick, I said, okay, this is why she's on this ship. <laughs> this is why. Because <laughs> she don't care. She doesn't care. I just really appreciated it. Speaking of people that we don't hear a lot from, Lieutenant Andy Billups, who's their chief engineer, who comes off as really abrasive, but we find out is apparently quite lonely. Oh. Which is interesting. I hope they explore that a little bit more in season two. We don't see too much from Billups, much like with Ta'ana or Shox or any of the the senior staff, but his are always a little a little gut-wrenching. Yeah. I just like that he's this nerdy engineer dude that uh, Rutherford absolutely idolizes. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate I appreciate that we get that dynamic of Rutherford just really loving his job and also just thinking his boss is the greatest. I love that sort of inversion of the standard trope. Oh, my boss. Yeah. Especially him being getting to be like, wait, so I can say anything I want to my boss and there won't be any repercussions? I just want you to know, I think you're great. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Precious. It needs to be protected at all costs i know and i just really i laughed a lot when he's like in in whatever their version of tempore it is and he's like drinking milk or something <laughs> I don't even know. something very mundane and rutherford's just like what a badass he's sitting there <laughs> eating pea soup looking depressed yeah and I love that because every freaking nerd has someone like that for them who's just like this dude but has some skill set or has done something that you're just like, oh, they're just so unbelievably cool. But it's like, no, they're just another guy. Yeah, for and sure. And I appreciated that humanizing aspect of it and that I think pops up a bunch in Lower Decks so far from what we've seen. I agree. So there's so much to cover over the scope of this season. So positive happenings. I've said it already. Just more black women always now in leadership. I appreciate the fact that as, as a group that can be depicted as being super strong and, and inhumanly perfect in every way that the whole Michael Burnham archetype, seeing somebody who is flawed like Mariner flawed, like Freeman in, in her issues is really important to creating stories for people where you're not pigeonholing a certain group of people in a certain type of behavior. So I really, really appreciate that. The other great thing about this show is that because it's animated, we get to see characters that aren't human. Oh my gosh, we saw giant milk giving spiders. We saw Cations for the first time. We saw Edosians for the first time since the animated series. We saw Gorn Wedding. I'd like to think their receptions would be more of a more of a shindig than we saw, but you know, you can't have everything. Yes! I, I never knew I needed a Gorn Wedding. What more could you want? Cetacean Ops. Still waiting on that. I, I'm hopeful on that. Right, right. And if we could for a second talk about the fact that we're getting to see this in an animated medium that this adds so much more to what we can do in an extensive hard sci-fi setting and doing of the more outlandish things that would be hard to do in live action. I also just really appreciate this as... I'm going to sound like a nerd for saying this, but it feels like a good step in the right direction for adult animation because we've got a lot of what we've got in terms of adult animation these days is very much the kind of static figure, easy to draw figures, animation. You you, you know, I'm not naming names, but you know what I'm talking about. But in terms of this, I really appreciate that this is something where it looks like they've got the team at Titmouse involved. They've got Mm -hmm. the Prynowskis who have done some really cool work who have also done some of this sort of 
quote unquote, what you expect is adult animation stuff. But I really appreciate that it looks like they're really getting to unleash a lot with this. And I remember specifically watching one of the scenes of Mariner is uh, Vindicta and just the way she's moving and just getting to characterize with her arms and just having to stop and be like, that was just a really cool piece of animation right there. And I'm really glad that they're getting to do that. Other thing I like about this show is it feels kind of like Galaxy Quest in vibe Mm -hmm. in that it's like, okay, but some of this is silly, guys. Yes. You know, and I like that because it's one of my favorite things about Star Trek is that it's it's bananas sometimes. It, I feel like a lot of people try and suck the camp out of Star Trek, and that makes me sad because camp is one of the things I love about Star Trek. And then having, like, this kind of referential humor of, like, the people in-universe knowing other ships and other happenings... And all of the little jokes that they have. And it really feels like it's made with love. Like, yeah, sometimes Star Trek is ridiculous. And let's talk about that. And let's make jokes about it. But, like, have fun with it. And I really appreciate that tone. Because I've I've really struggled with both Discovery and Picard. In that it's not even really that they're bad. It's just they make me mentally exhausted. The, the super dark tone and just really makes me tired because everything's pretty crap right now. So yeah. I really enjoyed being able to be like, well, you know what I could do right now when I feel horrible and can't leave my home? I could watch Lower Decks and I will laugh and I will smile and I will think that joke that somehow simultaneously references It's Always Sunny and the salt vampire is pretty <laughs> freaking brilliant and I will laugh. It's nice to laugh sometimes. You also got to admit, it's kind of brilliant that they put together a show specifically for the Love's Constant Pop Culture references set, but made it so that the only pop culture references consistently are other bits of Star Trek being referenced. It's kind of brilliant. It's a, it's a series flex. It's a franchise yes, flex. exactly. Like, you want pop references? You want random quick references to non-sequitorial things? Bet. I got 50 plus years worth of content to do it. What you need? What you want? Exactly. Do you want to reach in my TOS bag? Do you want a little bit of TNG? I know what you need. Blam, here's a shot of Deep Space Nine. Like, what? Oh, you thought we forgot the animated series? Uh, no, we did not. It's like if you had Gilmore Girls patter, but, like, within in one franchise. <laughs> yeah, and every time you go back and watch an episode, you find another reference. And... The best part is, even if you're lifelong fans, like myself, there's still going to be things you need to look up. I instantly think of the Janeway Protocol, (laughs) you know? Um, And I want to stay on Envoys for just a second, but on the Janeway Protocol tip, that's the one where Rutherford, bless his heart, (laughs) decides to quit his job so he can go watch a Pulsar with Tendi the next day and proceeds to try all of the jobs through Starfleet. I give Envoys its props because it shows people who might be unfamiliar with the divisions, what all of these different color uniforms mean, what their jobs are, yada, yada, yada. And in him confronting his boss like he was going to get in trouble and end up being immensely supported, I was like, this is what a post-capitalist society can be, guys. It's true. Look at what happens when you work because you're good at something and not just to acquire wealth and seen it as as both a commodity and a consumer. What an idea. 
Oh my goodness. We see him leave engineering, go to command, which I was like, what? You could just jump divisions like that? He didn't train. He didn't go to the command school. Is this his on the job learning? This is intense. I was like, they wouldn't do this on the Enterprise. I'm pretty sure they'd send you back to San Francisco, pick up a couple credits, and then we can talk about getting you into the officer training program or something. No, not your boy. Blam, instant commander. Look good in red. Put him on the bridge. Ransom's like, here you go. Here's level 8,000 difficulty. Have fun, kid. This doesn't seem right to me because Discovery told me that to become a captain, you have to do a lot of jogging in the hallway. And I didn't (laughs) see him do any jogging. And I was very confused by that because I was pretty sure that command school is just lots of jogging. Command school is like 80% jogging, apparently. (laughs) And black bean burritos. Delicious. Yeah, so he gets put in the captain's chair and they encounter some temporal thing. And... As he commands them to maintain course, the ship goes up in flames and dies. Like, everybody dies. Instant death. Boom. And Ransom was like, ooh, wouldn't have done that. Try the Janeway protocol next time. And he was like, what the hell is that? And Ransom was like, ha, good joke. Try again. And we were all like, what the hell is the Janeway protocol? What? Who? Did I miss something? I was appalled. Because I was like, is this a reference I don't get? What? Unacceptable. I'm Googling. No one knows anything about anything. Until after the fact, after it aired. And they put him in the path of a meteoroid, and he's like, the Janeway Protocol. And the crew's instantly like, what? He's like, just do it. And everything blows up and goes up in smoke again. And I'm like, what is the Janeway Protocol? Why does everything keep ending in flames? Come to find out, it was a nod to an episode of Voyager where they were caught in some temporal rift, and the only way to survive it was to push through it, because the ship was being torn apart every time they resisted. Little nugs like that. Little, 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 that was just a little sprinkling of Janeway paprika on the top of your potato salad. You know there was one dude watching who, like, instantly got it. It was like, oh, this joke is for me! Yes, and I am I really, really, really hope that it's a guy. Because Janeway gets so much crap, unnecessarily, that I want you to be the only dude that gets that random behind joke. And realizes that you respect her, too. Respect, put some respect, <laughs> give Janeway her flowers. <laughs> But the other great thing about Envoy in terms of, or Envoys rather, in terms of how it shows, you know, the complexities of that universe, that away mission with Boimler and Mariner to find Corinne, they go through little Andoria, they go through little Kultnos, they go through... Little Ryza. (laughs) Little Ryza. This boy wants Jamaharan! I just, I just appreciate that of there being a little, a little sub neighborhood for every, every group on the different planets. I love that idea. Yeah. There's, there are expats of all stripes out there. Right. And if this is really the galactic society that they make it out to be, why wouldn't there be a couple planets, a couple resorts here and there that had like their Epcot, their Magic Kingdom and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Although that's making me really think, is there like, a Tex-Mex version kind of of Klingon food where they're like, oh no, this is Klingon food like by way of Betazet. It's very different, but you'll love it. Just try it. Fusion. Yes. You gotta wonder. This guy is dead. <laughs> <laughs> but it also showed folks who don't have any idea what the difference between Andorian and, you know, Horizon are. So it was just really cool, not only how they were able to show all the different species within the Federation, but also the caricatures of them, right? The way the Andorians were so specific when Boimler inserted himself into that situation. Yeah. They were already pissed off. 
But as they spoke to him and their train of thought got more and more suspicious, <laughs> their eyes got narrow. And I was like, oh, this dude is getting his ass beat because, you know, they don't play. <laughs> so I just really appreciated that. And that scene in particular, Mariner saving the day by offering to buy everybody's beer tab. Come on, rock star. Yeah, definitely a power move. Rock star. Rutherford goes on to find out that engineering is not his, is his thing because he tries to be a medical. That was hilarious. That robot said it was going to die. And him annihilating a pack of Borg is just, you can watch that. That needs to be a gif. I don't know why that's not a gif. Just, just really good stuff in that episode in particular. And they needed it because the rest of the, the season is like high octane and we don't have time to catch everybody up with exposition every episode. You know, we don't, we don't have time for that because we're doing things like fighting off crystal people and dealing with a Tellerite captain with an inferiority complex and almost kills everybody involved with the mission. You know, we got to deal with that stuff. We don't have time to catch you up. And Kurtwood Smith is here. He's a lizard man. Oof. There was a great line in Cupid's Errant Arrow where Boimler's girlfriend is obviously too cool for him and Mariner figures it out because she's that good of a friend. <laughs> when they run into Jet, who is delicious looking, gotta say, and <laughs> establishes that they used to date and she's got, he's got nothing to worry about because blah, blah, blah. When Boimler sits there and says, Jet, though, that dude is a, what do you say, a Kirk Sunday with Trip Tucker sprinkles. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <gasps> Oh my god. Trip Tucker Sprinkles? I want Trip Tucker Sprinkles. <laughs> and if you don't know Enterprise, you don't know. So I love the fact that the, the writers decided to sprinkle Enterprise in just a little bit. So that if you like took a dump on Enterprise, now you have to watch it. You have to. Otherwise, you don't know why it's so important that Riker came up from the holodeck talking about some. That was a long road from there to here. You don't know because you weren't on that road with us. That was indeed a long road. I know because I wasn't on that road. I went back and took that long road. They are rubbing the full cannon in your face. You are going to watch every piece of Star Trek, goddammit. You are going to watch all of it and you're going to love it. Even the movies. Which is also pretty great considering how many people, like when they were seeing previews for Lower Decks, were like, no, this isn't real Star Trek. And then that's that little slap in the face of, you said that about all the old shit. Right. Deal with it. Right. And for fans like me who are quick to, you know, also take a dump on something before watching it, I appreciated it because I was anti-disco at first until I watched it and was like, oh, this show is lit. <laughs> and And really, that was the one that brought me into the modern Trek, I'll say, because I was like, I don't need any of this. I've got four Good shows that I can watch and some movies. I'm all right. Y'all go ahead. It's for the kids. It's for the children's. But it's not for the children's. It's for everybody. It's for those of us who are, you know, diehard fans. For those of us who just got here. It's for those who are, you know, kind of casual. Which I, I really, really appreciate because we needed that. Oh, we should probably talk about the representation on the show. And I was specifically struck by um, having Rutherford, who has a disability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Rutherford. I love how many visors we saw. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not even a thing. It's just there in the background. Like, yeah, look at these people who are different, but all existing in the same space together. And it's not even a big deal. I knew I was on board from episode one when Tendi's shuttle gets there. And in the background, there's a guy who's in engineering, who's got a turban on that matches his uniform. And I was like, I love him. <laughs> 
Where does he come from? I need to know everything about him. What kind of cookies does he like? Because I'm going to buy him all the cookies. I love him. And I was just like, more more people of color. More of the ethnicities that we really never see in Trek, speaking about the guy in the turban. Um, More species that are difficult to apply makeup for. We saw Bolians. We saw Benzites. We saw... Oh, a whole bunch I can't even think of off the top of my head. The Andorians running all over the place was really great. I um, I was just about to bring, because isn't it Jennifer the Andorian that... <laughs> move, Jennifer! Move, Jennifer! It's, it's the new move, I'm gay. <laughs> to move, Jennifer! I laughed so hard at that. Yeah, it was it was pretty great. You know what this means, though? This means that eventually we're going to get a lower, lower decks episode where they're like, here's... Here's what's happening with all the other side characters that we don't pay as much attention to. Here's how Jennifer felt yes. <laughs> about getting pushed. Here's the guy with the turban in the shuttle bay, and here's what he's up to. Mm, I love him. <laughs> Whatever he's doing, I'm fascinated already. Uh, we can see yep. what it's like during a Delta shift. Shift. Oh my gosh, yes. I, I appreciated that little burn there. And, you know, characters like Badgie. Oh, Badgie. Badgie. It's terrifying. The roommate I was watching that episode with, he just kind of turned to me. He's like, you know what? I bet there's going to be a lot of, you know, cosplayers out there really excited to recycle their Bill Cipher from Gravity Falls costumes to play as Badgie. (laughs) And I really hope he's right, because I just like that you can can make a very specific costume and wear it more than once. I'm going to wear your skin. (laughs) There were two things that I found the funniest the, throughout the show. The two things that made me the laugh the most was Badgie and then the dog that Tendi makes. Oh my gosh! <laughs> You're a freak! I know! I didn't want you to worry! When the head turns inside out and the two bat eyes fly away, they I did the thing. Laughing. They did the thing. It's like they took the best part of the episode Blob Dog with Jordy and the blob dog and then just made it hilarious. So good. But yeah, Badgie is a complex character, polarizing for sure. I'd like that it was a great nod to those of us who remember Clippy from Microsoft Word. <laughs> oh, Clippy. Yeah, you know. We hated you so much. Probably didn't deserve it. And and apparently, Clippy's great, 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 great grandson, Badgie, Badgie was, I feel like, for the Rick and Morty crowd. Oh, absolutely. There were little nods of Rick and Morty throughout the show. Obviously, aesthetically, it's very comparable because it comes from Titmouse, as we've mentioned. But And even though it was, you know, towing the line of gaudy at times, it always managed to keep its, you know, Starfleet, Kind of trekky, we're better than that vibe. And then Badgie hit. And I just, I don't know. I, I'm not scared of violence. I love horror movies. I love blood. I love guts. But Badgie got dark, even for me. <laughs> and and like you were saying, Andy, it, life's kind of crappy right now. If I'm turning on an animated show that's a rendition of the, my favorite franchise... I don't want to have to worry about a murderous holodeck program that can pop up on my phone because it's concerning. 
thing is with Badgie, he got existentially horrifying right off the bat. Well, the thing is, is like, that's what I found so funny about him. <laughs> it's like, he's so cute, but also he's going to burn your hearts in a fire. Like, it just, that to me was what was so funny about it. Can I teach you a lesson? <laughs> and the second Rutherford got stern with him, first of all, that was the first time we had seen Rutherford get stern. So I was like, wait, this is. I didn't know he could do that. Right. This is out of nowhere with you. Don't kick. And as soon as he kicked it, I was like, oh, no, don't. Don't abuse the tech. They hate that. <laughs> and sure oh, enough. Oh, this is going to get bad. Yep. That's when you knew it was going to get bad. Yep, exactly. But the other part about that episode was Fletcher. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, I have, I got beef with Fletcher for more reasons than the obvious ones. I got beef with how Fletcher was written and how he was introduced. Because if Fletcher is, you know, incompetent or, you know, unstarfleet as he turned out to be. Where was that in the beginning of the episode when we first meet him? You know, when we first meet Fletcher, he instantly deescalates a potentially volatile situation between Mariner and Ta'ana and Boimler vouches for him. And he's just, you know, capped up to be this really stand up guy. Somehow that changes abruptly. And it's a little, uh, I just felt inconsistent and, and not only inconsistent within the scope of that episode, but also inconsistent with how well the storytelling had been mm-hmm. up until that point. Like it was yeah. abrupt. It was abrupt. And I, I don't know. I had, I had beef with it. Aside from the fact that he was a whole dingle, right. He ended up being every, you know, prep schooled white dude in middle management ever. He kind of got to take some of that burden off of Boimler's shoulders though. Yeah. I mean, I guess he, they, we needed a character to force Boimler and Mariner closer mm-hmm. but if that's if that's the way he's gonna be make him be like that from jump street don't make me be like oh look at this dude he might be cool wait why is he a jerk makes you wonder if one of the writers had like a really bad work experience with a guy they thought had their back and then they're like no he's dead to me he was the worst ever maybe maybe i just you know they only had, wonder they had shown us better thus far mm-hmm. in the season so when i saw that i was like ah i know for a fact that you can do better but I also wanted to talk about much about much ado about Boimler because Sue had an interesting point that I hadn't thought of before. Uh, in this episode, Freeman and her other senior staff go on a fancy behind planting mission, agricultural, a covert agricultural mission, leaving Mariner's academy buddy to captain the ship in her in her absence. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the dog happens. Tendi creates the dog. And Boimler gets caught in a transporter accident trying to help Rutherford out. So Ta'ana's like, it's cool. We're going to send you to the farm. It's going to be great. You're going to be taken care of. And when the ship gets there, it's terrible. <laughs> like, it's terrifying. And they're constantly referring to each other as freaks. Uh-huh. Which I was like, yeah, that's kind of crappy. But I'm in my brain, I'm like, oh, they're just, you know, technology victims. When you, uh-huh. when you think about it. Lots of great, you know, nods here and there. Lots of great little visual gems. There was a guy whose face and his chest were reversed, so his eyes were nipples. Which is just weird to see in animation. Anyhow, there was a guy who had broke Warp 10 because he was like the salamander Tom Paris dude. I was really hoping he was going to turn out to be one of Janeway and Paris's kids that had trekked all the way to the Alpha Quadrant. Like, father situation that would have been dope maybe that's another character we can add on to the the sub lower decks 
series oh, I hope so. that we're writing, apparently. Yeah, this section kind of represented the negative part of the show for me, which is sometimes the show's a little bit mean. Mm-hmm. And I get that the humor is sharp, so like sometimes it'll go a little too far for people. And this was one of the cases where it felt super ableist. I don't know, like I, it just didn't hit the right tone for me. And it usually when there were a handful of other times where I just felt like the show got a little bit sitcom mean. And then this was one of the few times where it was a whole like huge section of the show and not just one joke, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So this was probably my least favorite storyline that they did. And it just kind of made me cringe a lot every time they would call each other freaks. And it, they, I like at some point they're champ chanting it and i was just like not my favorite yeah for sure yeah all of those things i mean it's cool that it ended up not being a, a problem like they weren't being shipped off to anywhere terrible they were in fact going to be pampered as they recovered it was heavy-handed i definitely agree with you on that I, and it's conflicting because i appreciated finally getting an answer to what happens to the folks who suffer accidents in transport or you know whatever else so it was definitely a bit of a, a bittersweet scene for me, for sure. It was definitely a slice of them trying to show us, you know, like a post-ableist and biased society, but very much coming from a biased and ableist perspective. Yeah. Like, Yeah, I think the reason it doesn't work is because for the joke to work, you have to think that they're being shunted off to some horrible place. Otherwise, it's yeah. not funny when it turns out that they're in Shangri-La, actually. The problem is, is like we've seen Star Trek do this at storyline in the past. This immediately makes me think of what they did to Pike, which is, in my opinion, the most ableist section of Star Trek. That whole storyline for Pike is just super cringy and ableist and terrible. And so it doesn't really work because this is something we could see them doing. And it kind of harkens back to the times when Star Trek was not very careful about these sorts of storylines. And so, like, you actually start to buy that this could be, this truly horrifying thing could be something that Starfleet's doing. And they're trying to make it a joke, so it doesn't really land for me. I agree. I also got cringy with the Mariner storyline in that episode, because she's such a badass. So for her to forget like that, I was like, oh, girl, what is you doing? (laughs) And I was like, this is it. This is your chance. This is your chance. It's your friend's ship. Like, you get to put this snotty Vulcan in her place whenever you want. Like, come on, Beckett. Come on, Beckett. Come on. I... Oh. But then we figure out what the actual issue is. So it kind of kind of soothes the ting on that. But it's it's definitely a cringy episode for sure. Veritas. I could do without. I, I, I would say that's their weakest episode. That's the one where they're on trial. Or not trial. Mock trial. It's the mock trial episode. Where we get to understand that, you know, Lower Decks is kept in the dark. It is a very need-to-know type of communication environment. And they're not even told stuff they actually need to know. It shows another ableist perspective when Shax and Billups don't listen to Rutherford when he says, I do it at night because it shuts me down. They're just like, oh, but you're half machine, so you'll be fine. Or you're a person, you're disposable, you'll be fine. Whatever, you know, side of that coin they were looking at that from, 
I was really worried about Rutherford and that because they were essentially, you know, using him without his consent. Yeah. And just thinking about what type of trauma that could do, like your body literally shuts down, you black out, and then you wake up and you're standing in space on a cloaked Romulan warbird. What? Or you're, you reboot and you're falling to your death. Like, what is that? That's terrible. Yeah, I think it's another example of... For the joke to work, it has to be structured that way. And so they cared more about the joke than the implications of the joke. Does Starfleet have an HR department that you can complain about this stuff? <laughs> they definitely don't because they never have. And it oh. always drives me nuts because they need to have a Star Trek HR show. And that HR needs to be working overtime. Okay. But anyways. Yeah. My other like last kind of negative, I guess, of the show is that... Uh, to me, Mariner has super straight up di- disaster bisexual vibes, but they never bothered to make it canon. Hell yeah. And the, the show in general is super heteronormative, which is annoying because in contrast to the other shows, Picard and Discovery, they're kind of falling behind here. Yeah. Yeah. I think because they portrayed Mariner as so, you know, casual about whatever her, her sexuality is, that that should have been enough. Or maybe the fact that, uh, you know, I read uh, Rutherford's fascination with Billups, yeah, mostly professional. But what Billups was returning was not professional. Billups thought he had found somebody. Billups was into it. He was totally into it. And I'm like, that's cool. I wonder if (laughs) Rutherford will be receptive to that. Will Billups get his heart broken because Rutherford doesn't know how to emote? Oh, you know what I mean? God, I hope not. I mean, there's some uh, power dynamics there that I'm not sure I'd be. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. HR, Star Trek HR, (laughs) where are you at? Yeah, I I agree. It is it is super super hetero, and Mm -hmm. as a hetero, I was uncomfortable. I said, so the no no gay people make it to space, but we already found out that gay people make it to space. What the hell's going on here? All this hetero made me upsetero. Hey, <laughs> I see what you did there. It does. It does sound like though that they've acknowledged that yeah, we did not do that right, and we're gonna try harder in season two. Yeah, I did read a an interview with Mike McMahon that was pretty interesting, and he did confirm in that that they wrote Mariner to be bi, and I was like, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I can spot a bye. <laughs> we can sniff them out, man. The second they show up, I'm like, that there is a bisexual. <laughs> but they need, like, it, it's, we're far past the point where, like, nudge, nudge, wink, wink works. Like, you have to, like, put up or shut up, you know? Yeah. So, uh, I'm cool. I'm cool with it being mostly background, or I'm cool with it being casual and not, like, the focus of her story. Just put it there. Just actually put it there. Yeah, But, like, she has a couple lines where she talks about women being hot, but, like, straight girls do that, too. It is very confusing. They're super weird about it, too. They're like, don't worry, she's just a girl crush. It's like, sounds like a crush on a girl. Just saying. You can just call it that. So that's that in itself is not enough. I don't know. I, I, I just feel like it kind of got conspicuous towards the end. And the other thing is, too, is they always put Boimler and Mariner together, and they always put Tendi and Rutherford together, and I would have liked to see that mixed up a little bit. To feel less like they're pairing them off. Exactly. Yeah. Because, it, like, I really don't get any, like, romantic tension between at least Boimler and Mariner. No. But the way they kept putting them together over and over and over again was kind of like... 
are you wanting me to ship them? Because that's not going to happen. <laughs> no, and, I, and I, I never got that vibe from them. I could tell she was definitely trying. She's too good for him. Well, that too, but I, I feel like too good for her perspective on him was that she was trying to prevent him from turning into one of those stiff officers that she detests so thoroughly. Let me get to him now before the crust starts to develop, and then maybe this kid will be, he'll be a decent captain. Yeah. They definitely have a platonic vibe. It's just that it's weird to me that they are always paired up. Yeah, I would agree. And I would have liked to see them mix and match a little bit more. But overall, I felt like this season was a really good first season. And especially towards the end, they really started to settle into their humor. Because at the very beginning, you could tell that they were still working it out a little bit. And there Mm -hmm. were some jokes that didn't quite land. You know, this sort of thing. And they started to really click towards the end. So my hope is that if we get a second season, it'll be even better, which will be lovely. Yeah, I hope that they hear all of our notes about the cringe, because I don't know if I can do another episode of Crisis Point, y'all. Uh, as as glorious as it was, and as, and as great levels of homage that it's paid to the films, to that whole, you know, cinematic experience, I feel like that episode should have came with a trigger warning, right? That's yeah. a definitive mother wound show like that's she's clearly you know obviously she needs therapy because of her mother so she's nursing a real hurt there right and because our society does not leave space for mother wounds in the same way that it does for father wounds folks who experience that who don't have great relationships with their mothers who have no relationships with their mothers would watch that episode and be like oh my god and it's it's not just the fact that she's tackling her issues she's violently addressing her issues there's there's hints of matricide there, which is like, whoa, that's that, I just feel like that episode and is is well done as it was, got heavy in a way that none of us were prepared for and that they hadn't alluded that it could get to at any real point in the series. So that one is as great as it was. It's not on my shit list like Veritas is, because oh my god. Honestly, with that one, I was just like, hey, they brought in Kurtwood Smith again. And that was my hey of the episode. I just really, really enjoyed the ship scene that went on and on and on and on and on. Yeah, that made me laugh. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just the isn't the ship beautiful continuing shot that never ends. It was it was the motion picture. <laughs> All of those ship montages. <laughs> They're like, they're like crying in the cockpit Uh over how beautiful it is. I did find it very amusing that this was like the most straight up, like, let's deal with our daddy mommy issues since Riker and his dad did the Ambo Jitsu scene. Right. (laughs) And apparently both Riker and Mariner deal with their issues by trying to beat the crap out of their parental figure. But yeah, it did get a a little hyper-violent. In a way that I was not expecting. I did appreciate that when it did get that hyper-violent, Teddy was like, yo, I'm out. This is weird. Because yes. at least they acknowledged that, like, this, this is this is a lot. This is a lot. This is too much. <laughs> I appreciate that they used her as a character in that way for that episode of being like, no, I'm not okay with this. I'm leaving. Please don't try to force me to stay. Yeah. yeah. When she tried to gift... Shax's earring I was like oh girl you need actual help you need like actual you probably you need actual actual help this hollow shit ain't doing it not for you therapy 
Go talk to Space Paul F. Tompkins some more. See what what you can get done there. Mm-hmm. Can we take like 30 seconds though and talk about Peanut Hamper? Because peanut I love Peanut Hamper. Hamper. Yeah, talk about Peanut Hamper because I hate her. <laughs> I want to fight her. She got hers in the end. She got hers. She's left floating in space. I mean, she's awful, but I'm glad an exocomp got to be awful. I know. I'm glad that an exocomp got to be a full person, sort of. Peanut. Fucking Peanut Hamper, man. <laughs> Are we going to see any Peanut Hamper cosplayers? And if so, when? I'm going to kick it. (laughs) (laughs) Like one of those little BB-8s? Blam! I'm going to just get like one of those little remote control trucks and put an exocomp thing on it and put it around at the con so you can just kick it whenever you're feeling tired or stressed. No, we should make her an exocomp Peanut Hamper pinata. And instead of candy, it rains down shot bottles. Yay! <laughs> Excellent. I do want to give y'all a heads up that Jackie Cox straight up said that she wants to cosplay Boimler's like cool guy outfit. Oh, he- <laughs> oh hell yes. <laughs> we also on Twitter, Dayton Ward was talking about wanting to cosplay that. So it's so funny. I'm, I'm <laughs> seriously hoping that's a consistent outfit we see when the cons start up again. My goal is to make a little like test tube puppet situation where I can have the little bug popping up and going lover, 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 lover. Ooh, yes. That's what I want to do. Well, I just want to say to our listeners, if anyone out there is planning a group Gorn wedding cosplay, please invite me. (laughs) That would be amazing. And something to look forward to for season two for sure. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Well, we can go on for hours about Lower Decks, but that is about all the time we have today. Grace, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at BonecrusherJank and working my hardest to make a little hand puppet to chase my roommate around the house going lover, lover, lover with. Oh God, I'm so, Andy, where where can people find you on the internet? Easiest place to find me is on Twitter at First Time Trek. Excellent. And Sarah, where can folks find you? You can find me on Twitter at Sarah Miyoko, S-A-R-A-H, M as in Mary, I-Y-O-K-O. And you can find my fanzine Star Trek Quarterly on Facebook. All right. And I'm Kennedy. You can find me uh, on Instagram and Twitter at that Mikey chick. That's that M-I-K-E-Y-C-H-I-C-K. Don't act up in my comments, though, because I will drag you and then block you. Just a heads up. To learn more about our show or to contact us, Visit womeninwarp.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. You can also email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. And for more Roddenberry podcasts, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Thanks so much for listening. (laughs) 